0: Let's turn in our Bibles now to Romans chapter 14. As we continue our study of the book of Romans, we'll be picking up in verse 5 this morning and looking at verses 5 through 9 of Romans chapter 14. And Paul, as we saw last time in this section, is discussing and instructing us about how Christians should handle disagreements among themselves about certain issues. And we know just from living in the world that it is very easy for us to focus more on what divides us than on what unites us. That's true uh, right now, especially in our culture in the area of national politics. The divisions run deep, right? The hostilities are strong. But there is a deep foundation of agreement right, that we all have as Americans, things we all hold true, um, things that we all hold dear, that we don't focus on as much. Right? The same is true in every area of our life. You can think about your coworkers, or neighbors or family members. It's very easy at times to focus on the things that you and those people disagree on, things you do differently, different habits you have, different interests you have, different ways of spending your time or organizing your life or, or um, you know, spending your days, but probably there are a lot more things you have in common with each of those groups of people than there are things that you disagree upon. The same tendency to focus on the things we disagree about rather than the things we agree on can easily crop up in the church among Christians. We're not exempt from this. Right? It's easy for us to highlight our differences rather than highlighting uh, the areas where we are unified. In Romans 14 and 15 focuses our attention on how we should respond to some of those differences between us and reminds us of some of the things that unite us despite those differences. In this chapter, Paul is focusing on um, different convictions, different opinions about uh, matters of behavior between Christians. But he reminds us that underneath those differences is a much more profound unity. So let me read for us from Romans 14. We're going to start in verse 5 as far as the, the sermon goes, but I want to start reading again in verse 1 and just read 1 through 9 so that we remind ourselves of what Paul is addressing here and what he's saying. In verse 1 he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So, again, Paul is focusing our attention here on some disagreements among the Christians in the church at Rome. And these uh, disagreements are over matters of practice, differences of opinion, difference of conviction about things Christians should or shouldn't do. In the first few verses, he mentioned that some of the Christians in Rome, they felt comfortable eating meat. And for whatever reason, some of the Christians in Rome didn't, and so they were eating only vegetables. In verse 5, he adds a new piece to this and says that there are some in the church who esteem one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. And so you have a difference of opinion about whether certain days are to be treated differently, whether that's appropriate, whether that's necessary for Christians to do. Later on, he will mention uh, the drinking of wine, which was apparently another area of disagreement among the Christians at Rome. So we have, in verse 1, he calls these uh, opinions, right? He says, don't quarrel over opinions. But in verse 5, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So we could also call them convictions, right? Convictions are things that we feel confident about that we should or shouldn't do, and those convictions tend to be, best case scenario, are informed by Scripture, but there's still areas where Christians don't always agree, right? That's why we say, well, I have a conviction about not doing this, or I have a conviction about making sure I do this. And when we say that, Again, best case scenario, we're not trying to make everybody else feel like they should do the same thing. We're just explaining this is what we feel convinced we should do or should not do. Those are the kinds of things that Paul is addressing here in chapter 14. Now, what is he talking about specifically when he says one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. What could he be talking about there? Well, the most likely example, I think, would be the Sabbath. If the the disagreement in the church at Rome has to do with how much of the Old Testament law and regulations Christians are still, um, if not required, at least wise to follow and and obey, then um, it's possible, like we mentioned last time, that the reason some aren't eating meat is because they are afraid it might have been sacrificed to an idol from the person they got the meat from. And so just to be extra careful not to be involved in any kind of idolatry, they won't eat meat at all. It's possible when it comes to esteeming one day better than another or esteeming all days alike it's possible at the root of that is a difference of opinion about the Sabbath. Are Christians required to obey the Sabbath or not? It's not hard to imagine that some Jewish Christians in the church at Rome would think, well, of course we're still going to observe the Sabbath. And some Gentile Christians in Rome would be saying, why would we observe the Sabbath? I thought we were free from the law and we've never observed the Sabbath before. Why would we start doing it now? And there could be some of each group that would be in the other camp as well. Uh, I think that's extremely likely uh, that that's part of what's going on in the Church of Rome. Another thing that could be going on, because he doesn't use the word Sabbath, so it's at least not limited to that. Another thing that could be going on, suggested by uh, one of the commentaries I was reading, he said uh, one of the interpretations of this verse that's been suggested is that... um, some Christians were viewing certain days as holy days that should be, where you should abstain from certain kinds of foods. So this would be connected to the you know, not eating meat and only eating vegetables kind of um, conviction. And so it, uh, he said even from ancient times, uh, early interpreters of the Bible, that some were uh, interpreted this as some in the church, viewing certain days as days that where they should not eat certain kinds of things. Right. Obvious example right now would be Lent. Right. Lent is a time where many Christians abstain from certain kinds of food or certain things uh, in preparation for Easter. Not all Christians do that, but a lot of Christians do that. And that's the kind of thing that falls under Romans 14. Some of you are going to think you should do this, some of you are going to think you should not do this. It's not an issue where Paul is going to say definitively, here's what you should do and here's what you should not do. But he's going to say, don't judge each other about it. Don't despise those who have different convictions with you about it. Just don't make a big deal out of it. All right? So um, something like that probably is what Paul has in mind. And again, you've got, you got two camps. You have those who think hey, Sunday is like Monday, is like Tuesday, is like Wednesday. It's all the same. Or, you know, Lent is just the same as August to me. I mean, it's all the same. And you have other Christians who are saying, no, Sunday is different. We don't don't work on Sunday. Lent is different. We don't eat certain things during Lent. You know, we abstain from certain things. And again, Paul doesn't... Sort of, you know, put down the gauntlet and say, here's the decision. Here's what we're going to do. He says, don't despise or judge the people who have different convictions about you than these things. Instead, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, there are a couple things that are really significant about that little phrase there at the end of verse 5. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Think about the kinds of things that Paul would never say that about. He would never say, to give an extreme example, some of you think murder is wrong, some of you think murder is not wrong. Each one of you be fully convinced in your own mind. He would never say that. He would never say that about sexual immorality. Some of you think sexual immorality is wrong. Some of you think it's not. Each one of you be fully convinced in your own mind. He would never say that. He would never say some of you think idolatry is wrong. Some of you think idolatry is not a big deal. Each one of you be fully convinced in your own mind. He wouldn't say that about participating in baptism or the Lord's Supper. Eh, make up your own mind. There are lots of things that are non-negotiables for Christians that all of us must agree upon. But there are things, things that Christians do because they think they ought to do them, to honor the Lord, because they think that the Bible encourages them to do them, that nonetheless we don't all agree on And that even someone with apostolic authority like Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, doesn't say, here's the answer, here's what you all have to do. There are certain areas where he allows disagreement. Because they're not essential. They're not fundamental. They're not clearly black and white, and everybody needs to be on the same side. Another thing that's really interesting to me about this phrase at the end of verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, is it's not what I would expect Paul to say while he's encouraging people not to judge each other over their different convictions. I would have expected Paul to say, look, don't have such strong opinions about these things. Don't, don't have such firm convictions. Recognize that you might be wrong. Right? Be more in the middle. Be a little gray on this. And if you're a little more gray on it, you won't be so hardline about whether or not you think other people should do it. It's harder to judge people about things that you don't have strong convictions about. So loosen up a little bit. But that's not what he says. He says, be fully convinced in your own mind. Have a strong conviction about it. Be persuaded. Know from the Bible why you're doing this or not doing this. Don't be weak in your conviction. Be strong in your conviction. Why does he say that? One of the reasons why he says that is because of what he's going to say at the end of the chapter. See, these are not unimportant issues, though they're not the most important, they're not fundamental, they're not unimportant. Because they are matters of faith. Remember he said, he framed this whole discussion in verse 1 as the difference between those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith. And in the last verse of chapter 14, verse 23, he says, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So Paul says, if you're going to eat meat, you need to be fully convinced. Because if you eat it, thinking maybe you shouldn't, you're sinning, even if it's okay to eat meat. And the reason you're sinning is not because it's wrong to eat meat. You're sinning because you're not sure it's okay, and yet you're doing it anyway. You're not doing it from faith. You're not doing it honoring the Lord. You're doing it thinking maybe you're not honoring the Lord, and that's a problem. So you need to be convinced. If you think it's okay to treat all days alike, you've got to be convinced. If you think it's okay to eat everything, you've got to be convinced. Be fully convinced in your own mind. If you think it's not... Be convinced about that. Be persuaded fully about that. Don't be wishy-washy. Or, if you are, if you can't make up your own mind, keep verse 23 in mind. You've got to be careful. Don't do something you're not sure it's okay for you to do. Because whatever does not proceed from faith, Paul says, is sin. Even if it's not sin in itself, it's sin for you if you do it, not convinced God's okay with you doing it. One of the things that that means is that if you can't do something convinced that you can honor the Lord while you're doing it, you shouldn't do it, whatever it is. It may not be unbiblical in and of itself. There may not be a verse that says, don't do that, don't say that, don't watch that, don't go there, don't, whatever it is, don't eat that, don't drink that. There may not be a verse that says, you cannot do that. But if you're not sure you can, Paul says don't. So that's, that's why Paul says, that's at least part of why Paul says, you've got to be fully convinced in your own mind. Now, despite that those disagreements, right? Whether or not we should treat certain days the same or treat certain days differently right? whether we should eat certain things or not eat certain things drink certain things or not drink certain things here's what Paul says we have in common in verse 6 he says the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God In other words, even though we may have differing convictions about certain things as Christians, all of us are doing what we're doing to honor the Lord. The people who are treating every day the same, they're doing that seeking to honor the Lord in every day. The ones who are treating one day differently, or a set of days differently, they're doing that to honor the Lord. The people who are eating meat, Paul says, when they eat that meat, they're giving thanks to God. They're not not trying to dishonor the Lord, they're not trying to be secretive and get away with something they think they're not supposed to do. They are sitting down at the table and they're saying, God, thank you for this meat, thank you for this food, thank you for providing this. Right, uh, when Paul talks about food sacrifice to idols in First Corinthians 8 and 9 and 10, he quotes uh, Psalm 24, which says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And, and you can imagine uh, Christians sitting down in Rome to eat meat, and they're saying, Lord, you made everything. This meat is yours. And you made everything good, so thank you for giving this to us. But Paul says that the people who aren't eating meat, the people who are abstaining, they're giving thanks to God too. They're just eating vegetables. But when they sit down to eat, they're saying, Lord, thank you for these vegetables you provided for us. So what Paul is doing is he's saying, look, even though you may be doing different things, even though you may have different convictions that compel you to do different things, at the root of that, you're all aiming to honor the Lord. Now, if you're not, that's another issue. That's a different problem. But in theory, at least, when Christians have convictions about things they should do or not do that not all Christians agree on,
1: we ought to at least
0: be able to assume about one another, that whatever we're doing, we're doing it because we think it honors the Lord. And we think we can honor the Lord while we do it. And we're giving thanks to God in the midst of it, whatever it is. And if we can't, right, then we shouldn't be doing it. But Paul says, look, you know, the people who abstain, they're abstaining and honor the Lord. The people who are not abstaining, they're giving thanks to God for what they're enjoying. So our convictions have the same aim, even while they remain different. So there's unity there, right, that we might not see. It's easy to focus on the fact, well, he's got different stuff on his table than I've got on my table. I don't think he ought to have that stuff on his table. Or the other guy thinking, why don't you have more stuff on your table? But What's more important than that is both of you sitting down at the table and saying, God, thank you for what you've given me. That's huge. Right? That's not only... like Go back to put yourself in Rome in the first century. Almost everybody around them is worshiping a host of idols. Probably got little idols uh, on a shelf somewhere in their house. Probably been in the temple sometime this week or this month for some god or goddess where they've burned incense or offered sacrifice or whatever. And then here's this little band of Christians sitting down at their table saying, Jesus is Lord, there's one God, and we thank him for what we're about to eat. Are you really gonna fuss over whether you got meat on your table or not? You're all confessing Jesus is Lord. You're all standing against the darkness of idolatry outside. You're all confessing the same God. You're all seeking to honor the same God. And there's no cut and dried answer about what you ought to be doing on this question. So don't worry about that. Focus on the fact that you all confess the Lord Jesus Christ. That is no small thing. So, even in the midst of our disagreements differing convictions about certain things. We are unified in our aim, and we are unified in what it means to be a Christian. This is what he's talking about in verses 7 through 9. All right, he says in verse 7, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. And then in verse 8 he says, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So he's he's explaining the reason why both the people who abstain from meat and the people who eat meat, the reason why they both give thanks to God is because as Christians, our lives have been reoriented around Jesus. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We don't even die for ourselves anymore. Our life and our death even have been reconfigured around Jesus. Everything we do is meant to be done to the glory of God. Everything we do has been reshaped around the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Our whole lives are lived under the authority of Jesus, are lived by faith in Jesus. And we don't live that out perfectly by any means, right? But we have been fundamentally reshaped and changed by Jesus. Paul said in the passage we read earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, that Uh, For those who are in Christ, we are new creations. The old has passed away. We We don't live like we used to. We don't work like we used to. We don't think about even food like we used to. We don't even view death the way that we used to. All of that has been changed. All of that has been reshaped. That again is part of that fundamental unity. The reason that you all give thanks to God, even as you're doing different things, is because you all are seeking to honor God because you all have been reconciled to God through Jesus. So none of us lives to himself. None of us even dies to ourselves, right? Our even our death is not, we, we don't view that as the end of our life as much as we view it as we get to go be with Jesus. And that's something else Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. That whether we are at, uh, at home in the body and away from the Lord, or whether we are at home with Him, we're always making it our aim to please Him, but what we really like to happen is to be away from the body and present with the Lord. Paul said the same thing in Philippians 1, right? To depart and be with Christ is far better so even though there are you know, aspects of death and dying that unnerve us, that um, frighten us even at times, right? The, the bigger picture for us is we know we're going to go and be with Christ. That's, that's what we try to focus on when we think about our death. right? So not just our life, but our death has been reoriented around Jesus. We don't live to ourselves, we don't die to ourselves, If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. And not only that, but he says in the second part of verse 8, So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That is the fundamental reality for all Christians, is that we belong to Jesus, both in life and in death. We're His. Remember Paul said earlier, in verse 4, he said, "...who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." In other words, don't pass judgment on someone because they're eating meat or not eating meat, because they don't, they're not here to serve you. Right? They're here to serve Jesus. Their master is Jesus, and Jesus will take care of it. Right? The Lord will take care of it, and will take care of them. Why? Because they belong to Him. You and I belong to Him, right? If we're Christians, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's essentially what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, at the end of that great chapter, when he says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. To say that nothing can separate us from His love is another way of saying nothing can separate us from Him. We are His, whether we live or whether we die. Perhaps one of the most beautiful ways this has ever been put outside of Scripture is in the Heidelberg Catechism, in the first question and answer. It says, What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid fully for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's what Paul's saying. Whether we live or whether we die. We are the Lord's. Why? Because of verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Jesus lived and died and, and rose again so that we would be his. So that he would be our Lord. So that we would belong to Him. The purpose of His death and resurrection was to make Him the Lord of both the living and the dead. So that whether we are alive or whether we uh, have died and gone to be with the Lord, we are the Lord's. We belong to Him. He has secured us as His by His death and resurrection. This is who we are as Christians. This is what is most fundamental about us. This is what unites us. This is what brings us together. And we can focus, if we choose, on all the things that are different about us. Our different convictions, different practices, different approaches to different things. But it won't be healthy if we do that. And it doesn't honor the Lord when we do that. When we intentionally or not minimize the death and resurrection of Jesus and the confession that Jesus is Lord by saying, yeah, I know you belong to Jesus, but this thing about you really bothers me. I don't think I can have fellowship with you because of that. Despite the fact that Jesus died and rose to make you his, just like he did for me. That's not what we want to do. That's not what Paul wants us to do. That's why he says, don't don't judge each other about this stuff. Don't despise one another over these things. Yes, you have different convictions. And that's okay. You should even be firmly convinced of whatever your conviction is. That's a good thing. The problem is not having different convictions, and the problem is not having strong convictions. The problem is what we do with those convictions. And if we make those convictions tests of fellowship with other Christians, then we've got a problem. But if, while holding our differing convictions, we can look our brothers and sisters in in Christ in the eye and say... Christ died for you. Christ died for me. We both confess Jesus as Lord. We might have different things on our table. We might treat different days different ways. We might have a host of different convictions. But you're my brother. You're my sister. And I'm going to stand alongside you as we worship together and give thanks to God in the name of His Son by the power of His Spirit because we have been made one By the blood of Christ. That's what Paul wants us to do. Let's ask God to help us do that.